Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And each week we talk about the political machine here in the United States. I hope everyone had a very, very uh, pleasant holiday weekend as we celebrated uh, not only the Easter holiday, but as well as the Passover holiday and Ramadan. So all three major uh, religions were celebrating this past weekend, and we hope everyone uh, enjoyed a, a very peaceful and uh, well-enjoyed uh, holiday weekend. Uh, let's get right into the show. Uh, gonna start it off. Uh, normally, I start off with the uh, COVID update, but if you all will allow me a moment of personal indulgence, uh, I want to uh, pass along a shout out Uh, to my father, John Bowles, who on the 7th of April celebrated, uh, and and we celebrated with him, his 100th birthday. Um, That's an an interesting milestone, and I've been trying to wrap my head around uh, a uh, hundred-year-old life in in all of its aspects uh, over the the past uh, few years, but definitely within the past week. So, you know, congratulations to my dad, Um, you know, happy birthday and so happy and so blessed to still have you in my life. So that being said, uh, let's get on with the show and start it off as always with our COVID update. Uh, We are at 104.2 million cases of the disease with uh, uh, 1.13 million people who have died from the disease and 675 million people who have been vaccinated. Uh, the overall trajectory of the pandemic has flattened out in uh, recent weeks, uh, over the past uh, few weeks and, or a month. Uh, but we have rumors coming out of the health and science community of yet another variant that uh, may be coming uh, on board and here in the U.S. So, you know, it just serves to point out something, as we always say, is that we have to maintain our diligence uh, to make sure that we are, uh, A, getting vaccinated or boosted as needed, uh, B, uh, exercising the appropriate social uh, uh, constraints, you know, masking, social distancing, as those become necessary as well. Uh, but in, in plain fact, uh, the disease itself uh, is slowing down a little bit. But keep in mind that we are coming into the spring and summer season where the amount of socialization that goes on is going to increase. So the bottom line is, uh, everybody, please take care of yourselves out there. Uh, let's make sure we continue to keep uh, the disease uh, as suppressed as we possibly can. All right. That being said, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's get into uh, the, the meat of the show for this week. Uh, there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been a busy week politically. Uh, it's been a busy week uh, in, you know, on the, the social justice scene. And we're going to talk about a couple of stories that follow those, uh, those threads. Uh, want to start out. Um, and I, I had to shuffle the order that I wanted to speak about these stories uh, just because the, uh, the last one, uh, or what I'm going to talk about now, uh, really 
uh, speaks to uh, what we've been talking about on this program for a long, long time, and um, that is the uh, conservative and, and right-wing um, uh, efforts to control the voting narrative and to control the political narrative in this country. Uh, if you've been listening to the show uh, for, for any extended period, uh, you've heard me mention several times that you know, two things that occur in politics are uh, items that fall into the strategic category and into the tactical category. Well, as we've mentioned, you know, the Republicans uh, have been very strategic in their assault on uh, democracy and equal access to such things as the right to vote and so forth. As part of a uh, concerted strategy that has uh, been um, or, or being acted on uh, for at least uh, almost 60 years now, uh, the so-called Southern strategy. And, you know, the the bottom line, the through line that, that runs through uh, this, this strategy is uh, blocking, eliminating, or, you know, pushing back against any activities or any um, things that are being enacted or trying to be enacted that would expand the the voting access, the voting privileges, uh, the overall rights and uh, benefits that uh, poor and uh, people of color in this country uh, have have wanted to experience over the years. Uh, and you know, as I've said, we've talked about these things uh, quite a bit. Uh, but in this past week, uh, we have seen a uh, a new, page, uh, something that is uh, very seldom done at uh, any level of politics here in this country. But uh, this came out of the state of Tennessee, which uh, in reaction to yet another uh, school mass shooting that occurred uh, 10 days ago now, uh, where six people, including three uh, children um, under the age of nine were killed by a uh, gunman or person um, going into the school and opening fire. Uh, the The events of that day, you know, if, if you've been listening to the news, uh, were well documented. Uh, won't go into a great detail here, but what we have, have heard from the uh, the right-wing community, the Republicans in, in particular, has been uh, an effort to lay the blame, if you want to call it blame, for this or uh, you know, to assign the, one of the root causes of it to the fact that uh, the individual who was um, perpetrating the shooting, uh, who ended up being killed by police uh, in in the midst of a gun battle um, was uh, a person who, depending on who you listen to, uh, was either uh, actively transgender or uh, you know, had, had issues uh, revolving around gender identity. And the Republicans turned and made that into you know, one of their talking points as to 
you know, why this happened and, you know, what needs to be done and, and all things along their, um, their, their anti-woke, I guess, narrative. That being said, um, the response to this uh, tragedy uh, has been far-reaching and vocal. And this past week, uh, students in Tennessee uh, left, walked out of their classes, and those in Nashville went to the state legislature uh, and uh, occupied the gallery in the, the uh, legislative chamber and protested the fact that these individuals uh, had been gunned down and their call for more effective gun control uh, actions to be taken by the legislature. So what happened was in, in the, uh, in the dis- disturbance or protest going on, three Tennessee state lawmakers, um, Representative Justin Jones, uh, Representative uh, Justin Pearson, and uh, Representative Gloria Johnson, uh, stood up, came down to the well of the chamber, and participated with the protests going on. Uh, longer story to a shorter story, uh, the microphone at the podium uh, in the floor of the, the chamber was turned off, at which point uh, one of the representatives produced a, a handheld loudspeaker and continued to participate in uh, and in some respects uh, lead the protest going on. Uh, as a result of those actions, uh, those three representatives, uh, Justin Jones, uh, Democrat of Nashville, Justin Pearson, Democrat of Memphis, and uh, Democratic Rep. Gloria Johnson, were uh, brought up on, uh, I guess you'd call it charges, uh, in the, the House chamber and were ultimately expelled from the uh Tennessee House of Representatives. Now, some of the backstory: the Tennessee House is controlled by Republicans, um, and they have uh, a bulletproof majority uh, there as well. And you know, they they expelled these three for so-called violations of you know House rules of decorum. Now, the the idea that uh, representatives uh, taking to the floor in protest uh, in, in the House or in, in a, a uh, legislative chamber is nothing new. Uh, the idea that citizens uh, come into that chamber uh, to you know, vocally air their grievances in protest is nothing new. What is new and what is uh, creating the most stir out of all of the stir being created by this event is that they were expelled from the chamber. Now, let, let's do a little bit of uh, backgrounding here. Uh, in most legislative bodies in this country, there are three levels of sanction that a uh, representative can be uh, charged with depending on nature and, and level of the activities. Uh, in order of seriousness, they typically run what is called a reprimand, which you know, is the, the individual is called to the floor of the Senate and is formally uh, reprimanded for their actions. Uh, 
they can be censured, which is the again, they're called to the well of the chamber and their actions are formally uh, uh, censured and, you know, more than just a reprimand. They are essentially, you know, called called to account for the actions that they have done. And then the most serious is to be expelled from the body, which means they are removed by a vote of the body and they are no longer considered a representative uh, of you know, their district in that body. So in this case, you know, the, the Republican-controlled uh, House went straight to the maximum penalty uh, for this and expelled uh, these three senators or, or held votes to expel them. The, the, that's bad enough because it is, you know, they went immediately to the most extreme uh, sanction that they could. In my opinion, uh, if they were going to sanction these individuals, they should have either been reprimanded uh, or, you know, censured. But expulsion is, you know, a heavy-handed response to the actions that were taken by these representatives. And to put this in context, keep in mind that the sanction of expulsion, uh, when it's applied, usually has been for uh, criminal conduct or abusive behavior. Uh, those two points are, are relevant here. If you recall, during uh, at, the, at the President's State of the Union address, uh, we had Republican members uh, actively uh, catcalling and, and issuing derisive comments during the President's speech. Uh, and, you know, there, there was no uh, uh, consequence that was offered to them. So, you know, the, the fact that uh, the, the Tennessee legislature chose to expel um, two of these three representatives, and we're going to talk about that too in a second, um, really sets a, a bad precedent that, and you can mark my words here, that you will see uh, in other legislatures around the country uh, going forward. Now, getting back to these three representatives, as, as I said, um, Representative Justin Jones, uh, Justin Pearson, and uh, Gloria Johnson, uh, when they held the vote to, uh, on expulsion for these individuals, um, Justin Jones was voted out of the body. Justin Pearson was voted out of the body. Gloria Johnson uh, survived that vote. And, you know, the, the fact that she survived and the fact that she survived by one vote uh, is important in this case because uh, you should be aware, if you're not already, that both uh, Jones and Pearson are African-American and uh, Representative Gloria Johnson is white. So, you know, the optics of that are extremely bad, but, you know, it, it represents uh, a, a level of action that Republican majorities in state houses across the country are, you know, obviously uh, looking at and uh, moving up the line in terms of actions they can take against uh, other representatives, uh, particularly 
uh, you know, representatives uh, of color uh, when they, quote, get out of line, close quote. Uh, so, you know, as I said, you can mark my words, this is not the last time you are going to see an action like this taken by a state legislature. Uh, because now they believe that, you know, with their Republican majorities, uh, that they can do this. Uh, not that they should do this or they could do this, but they will move right to the belief that, yes, we can expel people who are opposed to, you know, what, what the majority uh, is, is in intent on doing. So, you know, this sets a bad precedent. Uh, and it's again, it's another uh, tactic that the conservative uh, right wing, uh, you know, Republican side of the governing bodies in this country uh, have now uh, been released to take uh, in in their battle with the uh, more uh, progressive and, and liberal elements of the elected bodies. So, you know, we will see more of this. We absolutely will. And again, all of this stems from the, the shooting death of these six individuals, uh, again, three of whom were uh, children uh, at nine years old <clears throat> in their Christian elementary school uh, that really uh, possibly... Uh, may be a national straw that broke the camel's back. We will see. Uh, the, the reaction to the shooting uh, has been uh, swift and vociferous uh, around the country. And, you know, I, I add my voice to that in that I am, I'm just fed up with the levels of violence that are occurring uh, to children in this country uh, and, and to people in this country in general, but the lack of uh, uh, legislative uh, will to address the root causes of all of this gun violence. And, you know, just so you know, uh, we've had more than uh, 330 or so uh, mass shootings in this country just since the first of the year. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're in the fourth month of the year. So, you know, it, it is clear that uh, for, you know, political reasons, for money reasons, you know, that the, the gun lobbies in this country are funding uh, death to American citizens uh, in, in general and American children in particular. Uh, with what seems to be little or no consequence. Granted, the Biden administration passed a, uh, a gun control uh, and signed into law a gun control package that is a good start and is uh, probably the most aggressive package uh, that has been approved uh, by the federal government you know, in the last uh, 30 years, but it's still does not address the root cause of what's going on. In this country of some 340 million individuals, there are more than 120 guns per capita uh, in, in the United States. 
And that is, you know, far, far, far exceeds the number of guns per capita in, you know, other Western countries in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it is it is mind boggling how, uh, you know, the American public has allowed its elected officials to uh, to support to encourage or to not discourage would probably be more accurate, uh, the accumulation of uh, guns in this country. You know, and every time that we hear about proposals on, you know, restrictions, particularly for uh, semi-automatic weapons, uh, large magazines, etc., uh, there is, you know, a, a vociferous backlash from the conservative side of the aisle, uh, backed by the uh, gun lobbies that are out there uh, to to oppose it, and even though you know overwhelmingly uh, Americans you know uh, approve of some forms of restrictions on guns, not taking guns away, not you know in, in infringing in terms of possession of weapons uh, as, as allowed under the Second Amendment, but merely some common sense uh, uh, approaches to reduce the, the number and the magnitude of uh, gun deaths in this country. Uh, after this, this shooting in Nashville, uh, as I listened to the uh, rhetoric being presented uh, on both sides, on the, the conservative side, uh, invariably, uh, almost every time that the subject of gun control uh, was being brought up in the discussion around this shooting, uh, within the first two or three things that were said by a, a Republican respondent was a need to increase, uh, you know, uh, addressing mental health in this country to uh, increase uh, the presence of armed police in our schools and and to you know strengthen the security of our schools uh, against gun violence now the the strengthening of schools uh, yes there should be uh, additional securing of school buildings uh, if you've seen video of the shooting, the shooter in Nashville, you'll see that um, she shot out the glass in the doors before she entered. So, you know, there, there is clearly uh, some some backup for strengthening the security of the buildings. Uh, the idea, again, and one of the things noted was that the shooter was a white female which is extremely rare in the instances of uh, mass shootings in this country. Overwhelmingly, the uh, perpetrators of mass shootings are um, generally white and male. So a, a white female uh, shooter is, is very, very rare. And you know, as I mentioned, uh, there have been questions raised about uh, the mental stability of this shooter and the fact that uh, this person 
uh, may have been struggling with some gender identity issues and so forth, uh, which have not yet come to light uh, based on investigations and research into uh, the shooter's personality, uh, or, or rather, um, you know, social media and other you know, information available. Um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, expelling uh, state legislators uh, across or, or because of uh, their joining in a protest representing, as I said, a leapfrogging of uh, accountability to the most extreme level. There's an article that came out among the many articles that came out revolving around this, uh, the, the Tennessee House. Um, but uh, one that came out from uh, National Public Radio, NPR, uh, carried, I think, what is the, you know, the, the key messages. Uh, and, you know, in the article, a couple of segments, um, it, it was said, you know, what happened this week in Tennessee was an exercise of power used to send a political message. Dissent and refusal to conform will not be tolerated. And that's according to Carrie Russell, uh, principal senior lecturer at Vanderbilt University. Um, many state legislatures and the U.S. Congress have similarly broad disciplinary powers, but that authority has been used sparingly. Before this week, the two most recent expulsions in Tennessee's House came via overwhelmingly bipartisan votes to excise members on criminal or ethical grounds rather than a supermajority imposing its will. Another section of the article um, provides quotes from Miriam Seifter, who is the co-director of the State Democracy Research Initiative at the University of Wisconsin Law School, uh, who said, uh, weaponizing legislative discipline reveals a concerning level of democratic dysfunction. It suggests that more attention should focus on state-level government, something that we've talked about here on this program frequently. Uh, it is especially rare for a legislature to expel members over actions resulting, I'm sorry, relating to substantive policy disagreements. Uh, in, in Tennessee in particular, uh, the first time multiple Tennessee legislators have been uh, ousted in a single legislative session, uh, dating back to 1866, when Tennessee was struggling to adopt citizenship rights for formerly enslaved people after the Civil War. So, you know, longer story, which we will cover and continue to cover, uh, to a shorter story. Uh, this is something that, while not new, is an unusual circumstance, but it is also something that I think we are going to see more of from other legislatures around the country. Uh, and as always, it is something that, you know, we need to maintain our vigilance on uh, to hold our elected officials accountable. And as I, as I said, we uh, often hear in the news about things going on at the national level. But in this country, state legislatures are much more critical to, you know, everyday, day-to-day -day living uh, than the federal level uh, legislators are. So, you know, the, the fact that we need to be in communication with our elected officials at the local and the state level uh, more uh, than we need to be in communication with our federal level 
uh, elected officials uh, is is bolstered uh, by the events of this week in Tennessee. As always, we will keep on top of this. We will keep you posted and we will bring any uh, additional developments and events uh, relating to this uh, to you in our in our podcast show. Uh, one final note in uh, televised interviews, both uh, representative um, that were ousted have stated that you know they are going to seek um, you know reinstatement to their seats or if there are elections held to to fill those seats that they will def- definitely be candidates. And lastly, keep in mind that while you know optically this may look like it affects you know uh, black people, Realize that these senators, I'm sorry, these representatives um, have a constituency of more than 78,000 people each, not all of whom are Democrats. Some of their constituents are Republicans. So, you know, just one more instance of Republican conservative uh, elected officials um, voting or or working against their own best interest. So we will keep you posted. We will let you know how this transpires. So, you know, keep it locked here at the Fired Up Podcast uh, each week. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on in my one of my favorite states, and that would be Florida. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Audrey Jackson. I'm Greg Jackson. On February 19th at 4 a.m., a gun was used to take my son from me. You know him as Pop Smoke. We call him Char. Because of gun violence, I'll never see my son run up the front of our steps, taking them two at a time. He won't ever take my hands again and dance with me. He won't come into my room and muscle pose in the mirror. Gun violence destroys families. It must stop. And welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. Um, This next story uh, comes out of, I guess, one of my favorite target states. Uh, That would be the great state of Florida and its governor, Ron DeSantis. And I I have to admit up front, um, reading this story actually made me kind of giggle. uh, Because apparently, uh, and I'll, I'll give you kind of a high altitude overview of the situation between Governor DeSantis and uh, Disney, uh, as you know, or as you may know, um, the Walt Disney World in uh, the area of Orlando, Florida, uh, is a massive project. I mean, it is uh, almost a country unto itself. And uh, that is not too much of a stretch in in a description. Uh, Back in 1967, when the Disney company and and Walt Disney in particular were looking to locate uh, their theme park in the Orlando area, uh, they negotiated a deal with the state of Florida, giving them an expansive tract of land which uh, they would actually uh, manage, uh, maintain, and take care of uh, so that the expenses of the endeavors uh, going forward 
wouldn't be a burden on the local taxpayers. Uh, so the Reedy Creek um, Development uh, Company was formed, which was uh, uh, empowered to take care of all of the, the needs that the developing Disney world uh, would have. Uh, you know, everything from infrastructure maintenance, roads and streets, and, you know, fire and EMS protections, you know, everything you can think of that a community has to have in order to take care of its residents. So fast forward to about a year ago when uh, Governor DeSantis came out with his um, uh, anti-sexual uh, orientation and gender expression law uh, in, in the Florida school system, uh, otherwise known as the Don't Say Gay law, uh, the, the idea uh, did not sit well with uh, the employees and management of the Disney Corporation. And as a result, uh, the then CEO of Disney came out in a public statement um, against the Don't Say Gay law, which infuriated Governor DeSantis. And in reaction, uh, he uh, worked through legislation to strip uh, the Disney property of its self-governing status uh, and basically uh, remove their company control board and replace it with a uh, DeSantis Alliant board, uh, which is slated to take its seats on the 1st of July. And I'm sorry, 1st of June of this year. Well, you know, most people, you know, looked at that and said, well, there's a there's a done deal. DeSantis has, you know, has won, you know, has beaten uh, Disney. Uh, to this this point. Well, I guess we can look at it now and say that um, Governor DeSantis just got bitch slapped by Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Goofy, Donald, uh, Snow White, and each of the seven dwarfs, Moana, Ariel, and Tinkerbell, uh, because the board of directors, the outgoing board of directors, voted itself uh, irrevocable and you know unimpeachable control of the Disney property uh, with the exclusion of some of its infrastructure uh, needs that connect it to the, the wider state around it. Uh, and, and here's the kicker. Here's the part that, that kind of makes me giggle. Um, they have tied it to a time frame that extends 21 years uh, after the death of the last descendant of King Charles III of England. Now, keep in mind that right now, that would be Princess Lilibet, uh, the, the daughter of Harry and Meghan, uh, you know, in, in the, the British royal family. And by the way, it is not unusual to tie uh, legislation to the lifetimes of, you know, individuals and so forth. Uh, in fact, in, in this country, we will we we always will tie a time deadline uh, for you know certain elements of information. For example, the Watergate uh, information revol revolving around uh, the events and and President Richard Nixon had a uh, fifty year uh, after his death uh, time frame, which has you know recently in the last few years expired. Uh, 
Uh, same thing with information on the Kennedy assassination and so forth. So it, it's not unusual to tie it to a, a, an individual and you know, their lifespan, um, but that they, they have tied it to 21 years after the death of uh, an individual in the British royal family who was currently two years old. Um, really, you know, as I said, it, it was something that just kind of made me chuckle. Um, so, you know, the, the upshot is, uh, that as a result, when the new board sits down, um, for, you know, what is, is going to be the new, uh, so-called controlling board for the Disney property, they are going to essentially have, uh, extremely limited uh, impact on what they can do with regard to you know how Disney operates you know within its own footprint. So you know the the idea of the development parcel was to allow uh, Disney to essentially be a self-governing body. So as I said, they could you know manage their growth, uh, approve projects you know, build roads and do all of the things they needed to expand and grow their operation. You know, currently there are four, four theme parks, uh, two water parks, and, you know, just a multitude of hotels, motels, and so forth. Not to mention that Disney contributes, you know, more than $70 billion into the local Florida economy uh, each year. So while, why is this important? Well, because for one, you know, the, the idea is that the Disney Corporation uh, saw this effort by the DeSantis administration to, uh, to punish them for their positions on, you know, the, the bills and, and the laws that the governor was passing. And they believed that by stripping the Disney Corporation of the control of its land, that they could essentially uh, exercise uh, more control over what happens at Disney. Now, you know, they, they still are able to, you know, for example, uh, there's been discussion about setting up uh, toll roads uh, leading into the Disney property and, you know, establishing new or expanded taxation rates for the hotels in the area as a way to, to exert some economic pressure. But uh, those are, are small potatoes when you consider the, again, the overall impact uh, that Disney World has on the, the state of Florida and the benefits that it receives. Um, you know, it you know, is according to this article that came out of CBS News and other sources, um, you know, DeSantis must have considered this a done deal uh, and took his eye off the ball. Uh, you know, critics have said, you know, have, have wondered if this was done in secret. And the answer to that question is no. Uh, the laws are very clear that, you know, these type of actions need to be done uh, publicly and there needs to be uh, access and uh, allowance made for uh, comment and so forth. And the Disney Corporation followed all of those rules to the letter. They have essentially, and at least as far as the information coming out uh, says now, they have dotted all the I's and crossed the T's. Uh, and 
you know, the DeSantis administration who is vowing and in fact just uh, in, empowered an independent prosecutor to look into this, uh, you know, most most analysts say that uh, there's there's nothing that they are going to be able to do about it, that, you know, Disney took the the time over the past, you know, 12 to 18 months as this was uh, being bandied about in you know, the public sphere, uh, they took it to do their homework and you know, put together uh, the proposal in a, as near ironclad fashion as possible. So it remains to be seen what happens, but for right now, um, the, the score is um, Disney 2, DeSantis 1. Uh, the, the, um, the mouse has roared back. But we'll keep you posted and we'll let you know what transpires uh, of this as it goes forward. Um, but again, I, I just found this uh, story to be uh, a little bit amusing in, in the realm of the political sphere, so to speak. All right, um, let's flip the page and talk about the other 800-pound uh, political news gorilla in the room. And of course, that would be the indictment of the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, in the Southern District of Manhattan uh, this, this past week in what has been described uh, by some in the media and uh, whom I actually kind of agree with uh, is a- another chapter in the Donald Trump circus uh, that goes on, something that we have seen happen Uh, time and time again over the last seven years. Uh, Essentially, Donald Trump was uh, indicted on 34 counts of uh, uh, violations of New York state law, uh, mostly revolving around uh, the hush money payments that were made to uh, porn actress Stormy Daniels uh, by Trump attorney at the time, Michael Cohen, on his uh, behest as, as is alleged in the indictments. And, uh, of course, uh, Donald Trump pleaded not guilty. And, uh, after his arraignment left the Manhattan courthouse, uh, got back on his plane and flew back to Mar-a-Lago where he had, uh, a, a disjointed and ranty, uh, speech, uh, given at Mar-a-Lago, uh, later that night. Uh, the the upshot of this is that you know Donald Trump was brought before a judge and arraigned on these charges. Uh, it is the first time that a former president has been indicted and arraigned on criminal charges in this country, uh, and you know uh, we now are in the midst of uh, watching the preparations uh, that will happen for this trial uh, that probably won't occur for, uh, I don't know, most, most analysts are saying that it is, we're probably a, a year away from any uh, uh, trial that happens in the Manhattan District Court. Uh, he's due to report back to court on December 4th for um, you know the the next phase of the process, uh, which will be you know motions presented to the court and some discussion on 
what is going to uh, transpire, transpire as far as how the trial will actually proceed. So, you know, we are, we're in the, the long wait process uh, on this case to see what happens next to the former president. Now, keep in mind that there is a similar uh, process uh, underway in Fulton County, Georgia, even though, you know, a, an indictment uh, has not been issued and uh, he has not uh, appeared in court to answer to charges uh, revolving around uh, the election interference uh, situations and the now infamous call with uh, State Secretary Brad Raffensperger. Uh, and, you know, add that, we still have yet to see uh, any of the federal charges be brought forth uh, in the lead up to the insurrection on January 6th. So, you know, Donald Trump has, has crossed the threshold of the next phase of his legal hassles. And, you know, we will keep tabs on that. Meanwhile, you know, we can expect to look forward to the next, uh, you know, 16 months of, you know, victim speeches and they're out to get me and, you know, fake news, fake trials, uh, attacks on individuals in the legal system and, and so on and so forth. And the latter has already uh, begun, not you know, two or three minutes after they walked out of the building in Manhattan, uh, Trump's attorneys were talking about how uh, District Attorney Alvin Bragg uh, was bought and paid for by George Soros, and you know all of the 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 money that that's been flowing into his campaigns and his connections with. Uh, the Jewish power structure here in this country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was an article that uh, fact check all of that. And while uh, one of the charitable groups that George Soros is involved with called Color of Change did, in fact, uh, endorse uh, uh, Bragg when he was a candidate for attorney general, um, you know, the the money that goes into that from George Soros, uh, even though they were saying they were committing a million dollars to the campaign, ended up only uh, giving 500000 And George Soros and Alvin Bragg have never met. Uh, they've never had any conversations. They've never had any interactions. Uh, it is a political arm of you know, George Soros's companies that made this contribution. So the claims that, you know, Alvin Bragg is in the pocket of George Soros uh, is an exaggeration at best. Um, yes, his company contributed to Bragg um, along with a host of other district attorneys uh, around the country that they supported uh, for their progressive views and so forth. But, you know, as always, you know, the 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 tendency you know, on the uh, the right wing side of the the aisle is to uh, exaggerate the claim uh, and, you know, keep pushing a a somewhat sketchy narrative uh, that will ultimately you know, grab some traction 
with the faithful and you know they can use that as a talking point it should be noted also <clears throat> that immediately after the arraignment uh, the Trump organization began its fundraising uh, even though no mugshot was taken while Trump was in the uh, the DA's office uh, for processing uh, because well essentially you know there are 800 million pictures of Donald Trump out there uh, it's not exactly like he is an unknown figure uh, but the Trump organization put together a an image of you know Trump in an arraignment like pose and it's being sold you know on on t-shirts for 49 bucks a pop so they're already uh, working to cash in on you know the the uh, publicity and notoriety of this arraignment and you know that's not surprising given who we're talking about so you know the the bottom line is that you know it, it, for for nothing else the ice has been broken uh we now have Donald Trump as the first former president to ever be uh indicted and charged uh with crimes uh in in the United States so you know the the next uh district attorney in line whether that's you know Fonnie Lewis in in Georgia or whether it is the uh, federal level uh, from the DOJ, uh, that ice has been broken. So we should likely see uh, those indictments coming down the pike uh, as we continue through uh, the balance of this year and into early next year. What this does in terms of the uh, upcoming 2024 election cycle, uh, that is a subject that is up for discussion. Uh, we will be keeping a watch out to see uh, what the impacts are that come of this. And we, of course, bring it to you. So, you know, it, it is it is clear that uh, we are uh, heading into a very contentious and um, I'll just leave it at contentious uh, election cycle coming up. Uh, we will see what happens, you know, with. Uh, the Trump situation, we will see what happens uh, with regard to the DeSantis-Disney battle and how that impacts. And let's not forget that there are, you know, at least one other candidate who has announced uh, for uh, the Republican presidential nomination with probably more to follow. So we will we will keep our eye out and let you know who's who's uh, intending to run. Uh, what their chances are, and so forth. Uh, so, you know, as far as political weeks go, uh, this past week or this past 10 days has been, you know, something of, of quite the show. And, you know, as always, you know, our, our goal is to look and bring you the, the stories that don't necessarily make it to the mainstream media level but are nonetheless important to uh, you and I as voters and constituents here in the United States. Uh, this, is, this is what we do here on Fired Up. So, you know, I, I want to just take the, the final uh, couple of minutes and, and just kind of recap. So, you know, we started off with a discussion about uh, what transpired in Tennessee. And I, I think that is a a uh, a topic that we need to keep a wary eye out for 
I do believe that we will see this approach uh, that is uh, expelling uh, state-level leaders uh, for, uh, you know, various infractions as a way of uh, disenfranchising entire districts at one time. Uh, Remember, as I said in the segment, Uh, This impacts not just uh, people of color in these districts, uh, even though that both of the expelled individuals uh, in Tennessee were black, but it also disenfranchises Republicans in the district because they no longer have a voice in state government uh, because they have no representative present in state government. So, you know, it, it is something to keep in mind, particularly uh, for, you know, Republicans to realize that it, it's one thing to be in support of these actions that seem to go after, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the BIPOC group, the black indigenous people of color group, uh, but realize that the fallout of that, the collateral damage of that is going to affect you as well. So it, it, it behooves you to, uh, to pay attention and to think about these actions uh, in, in, in the broader perspective of what it means to everybody in your district, uh, particularly at the local level, because uh, it is not just uh, impacting people of color. Um, so you know, we, we also talked about uh, the, the Disney-DeSantis um, you know, battle going on, and we will keep an eye on that because uh, it is important to understand that you know Ron DeSantis is, even though he may not have announced, um, all the money is on the fact that he will run for president against Donald Trump. And you know, in in many instances, he is being positioned as um, you know the the Donald Trump without all the the personal baggage. Uh, but you know, be aware that he has a very specific agenda and that, you know, if, if he gets a national platform in which to implement that, uh, he is going to drive the Republican efforts to curtail more of our individual rights and, and liberties uh, going forward. Um, you know, it, it is clear that, you know, his, his notions of what is uh, of value uh, to quote America, close quote, and what is actually of value to us out here in America uh, are drastically different. So uh, for those of you in Florida, um, put your thinking caps on, keep an eye, um, you know, make sure that, you know, you are, are validating your voter credentials uh, on a regular basis uh, because uh, in in behind the scenes, and this is something that bears mentioning, keep in mind that, you know, the, the way that a magic trick works is for the magician to get you interested in what one hand is doing while the other hand is actually performing the trick. Uh, so, you know, to the extent that these are important um, uh, uh, activities, these are important issues, uh, bear in mind that there are other things going on that you know we can't take our eye off of. There are still efforts out there among uh, the red states to disenfranchise as many uh, poor and people of color 
from the voter rolls as possible. There are still efforts out there to further restrict a woman's right to choose, as we've we've learned with uh, the latest bans coming out of um, uh, two states on uh, the uh, first pill of the uh, abortion pill um, medicines that are out there, mefepristone, uh, and you know its restriction, which uh, would further set back um, the the options that you know women would have in terms of addressing their pregnancies. Uh, so there is a lot of things that are going on that are happening behind the curtain of all of the national level and you know more explosive uh, state level uh, things going on. So you know we need to make sure that number one, as we always say, that you're getting your information from multiple sources from you know all different sides of the issue. Uh, I, I think as we've seen in recent months, uh, the the range between uh, call it the right and call it the left uh, is is very wide and very very disparate. Um, you know when you factor into that you know sources such as progressive sources and and independent sources and uh, and all of that uh, it, it shows the need uh, to educate yourself to enlighten yourself to find out what's going on and especially to be in communication with your elected officials um, at the local and at the state level, as well as at the federal level. Uh, we need to make sure that our elected officials understand that you know uh, we are not going to stand silently while they throw our representatives out of the, the body that we elected them into uh, without a fight. We need to make sure that they understand that you know, we expect that, you know, justice is carried out in this country uh, fairly, equitably, and that no one is above the law. We need to make sure that we hold our elected officials accountable for their actions or their lack of actions. Uh, you know, if, if they are so busy uh, arguing and infighting among themselves that they are not getting the people's business done, then that needs to be taken into account when we think about returning them to office in the next election cycle. So, you know, our homework is clear. We need to be on top of it. Uh, as always, you know, democracy is not a spectator sport. We need to be engaged, involved, informed, and educated. So there are your marching orders, people. Let's get out there and make sure that we are on top of our game so that we can keep our elected officials on their game. That's going to do it for this episode of Fired Up. As always, I thank you for being here and, and listening. If you have any comments or questions about the show or about any of the subjects I've talked about, please reach out to the show via our email address, which is firedupradio at yahoo.com. And remember, you can uh, search for our podcasts uh, through the, your search engine of choice. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google. Uh, we're on, on the majors, but if you just search for Fired Up uh, Podcast uh, and WJMS Media, you will find the links to get to us. Please also uh, take some time and listen to the other shows here on WJMS Media. Uh, we have a, a growing 
group of shows. We've got more shows that we are looking to uh, bring to you in the uh, coming future. So, you know, as always, we appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And I will look forward to speaking with you again in seven days.